And so our degree of transparency was not just here's kind of your straight compensation range and here's what it requires. It was down to here's what it means to make a compensation decision. And we want to open up that for discussion and dialogue so that everybody feels equally educated going into those compensation conversations. Yeah, I can only imagine you might have somebody saying, well, here's what ChatGPT says I should be making. <laughs> I have an alternative data set for you. We haven't had it happen quite yet. We haven't had it happen. Not yet. Welcome to GeekWire from GeekWire.com in Seattle. I'm Todd Bishop. I'm pleased to be joined on the show this week by Lexi Clark, the Chief People Officer at Payscale, the compensation software and data company that's based here in the Seattle region, which just came out with its 2023 Compensation Best Practices Report. Lexi, it's great to have you here. Hey, Todd. Nice to be here. So, this is such a fascinating area in general already when you talk about what people make. Everybody cares about these numbers, but especially in the tech industry over the past six months or so, it's just gotten intriguing and a little bit messy. And so I just wanted to start with a big picture view with you. When you look at layoffs and the uncertain economy and compensation in particular, how has the balance of power shifted between employers and employees in the past few months? And if you could start with the tech industry, I think that would be probably most interesting to our audience. Yeah, absolutely. And a great place, um, I think, for us to start just at that high level. I think a few things I would just kind of call out thematically. The economy is uncertain, but we're also on the other side of this great resignation. So we're seeing that voluntary turnover is starting to drop, which gives us kind of an indication that employees are worried about making that job change within that current economic uncertainty. I think especially in tech, voluntary turnover has dropped the most and it's dropped by about 15% as you look at the report. And so you're hovering kind of within that tech industry as voluntary turnover around 19% total. And so I think there's a couple of interesting kind of anecdotes. Like I think the tech industry specifically is the only industry that really perceives um, that the labor market is tough. And that might explain why we've seen layoffs specifically in that industry be more prominent than other industries. And listen, the tech industry boomed during COVID and we saw a lot of hiring happen. And now it feels like we're right-sizing a little bit in what may be kind of that, that post-pandemic type world. Despite all of that, I think you mentioned power and the power shifting. I think we're seeing unemployment at that 50-year low. Um, I think overall workforce participation continues to decline. That means employers are facing labor challenges entering into this year. And you've got 60% of people in our compensation best practices report that said they've had difficulty attracting and retaining talent in 2022 compared to ever before. And so I think, you know, if we look at all of those pieces put together, we see workers, employees, candidates reprioritizing those values and needs and the expectation about what work looks and feels like for them. And collectively, that means although employers are taking back some of that power, it's still an employee's market. And I think it'll remain an employee's market just in terms of the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's fascinating. It is. It's super messy, which is really interesting. So let's just go through those, each of those points that you made. First off, there's been a decline in voluntary turnover. So in other words, people are leaving their jobs voluntarily at a lower rate than they did in the past. Yes. So why is that happening? 
you hit the kind of messiness, I think, well, it's been a roller coaster the last few years. And if I think about that voluntary turnover, you think about like a thematic great resignation. And that was really people prioritizing, hey, I could go somewhere else, maybe make more money and have more flexibility. And we're starting to see, I think, the layoffs that have picked up over the last few months. I think that has put folks back into a place where they're going to stick with their current employer. It also could mean that some companies that you know they are currently with right now have also made some changes more in that employee favor, knowing all of the things around compensation that we know around kind of pay transparency legislation and all of these pieces that are forcing employers and companies to think differently about the conversations with employees about their pay. And so I think, you know, as you think about people deciding to kind of stick with those jobs for longer periods of time, I think you can look at the economic uncertainty and point back to that being worrisome for people. People and people feeling like they're going to stick with where they are. I also think that companies have had to reshift their thinking around what that employer-employee relationship looks like. And that includes things, especially around compensation. I mean, you said it best, it's a hot topic and has been a hot topic. And I think will continue to be a hot topic within any industry, but especially within the tech industry. So I want to talk in a little bit just about what that means in terms of pay raises. But with that decline in voluntary turnover, it seems like employers would be getting back a little bit of control. I think when I think about kind of the rebalance of power a little bit, I think, you know, you go back to those swings, you were talking about the messiness, that roller coaster of what it has felt like with impacts of COVID, working remotely, a white hot labor market, then the layoffs that we've seen over the last few months. I think there's continued friction, I think, between what employees and candidates are wanting and what employers are providing. And you think about dynamics like inflation is still high and pay increases are projected to be higher still than previous years. And employees continue to expect pay equity as well as kind of more attention on that total rewards. And so I do think that there's this interesting push and pull, especially that's highlighted in that comp best practices report around everything related to employers and employees. It gets especially interesting as you think about benefits that employers are offering or flexibility that employers are offering? Are they making or asking their employees to go back to work or not? Are they providing different benefits than they have before? I think they're thinking about the employee experience in a different way where they're still providing some of that flexibility maybe, or they're thinking about their total compensation package in a different way. Well, you just mentioned the return to the office, and that is (laughs) such a fascinating topic. And I want to get into that When we come back, you're listening to GeekWire, and we'll be right back. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop. We're talking this week with Lexi Clark. She is the chief people officer at Payscale, the compensation software and data company. It just came out with its 2023 compensation best practices report. Lexi, this report is designed primarily for employers to understand what's happening out in the marketplace and how to set their compensation. Basically, our uh, it's our flagship report surveyed from compensation professionals, HR leaders, executives, 
basically distills that data and kind of insights from all of those different responses into one place. And the responses are made up of a little under 5,000 compensation professionals, kind of HR leaders and those execs. And primarily, I see that it is mostly for employers really to use that as a good gut check to either the roadmap that they're using internally for their HR teams, people teams. I also think that they're using it as you think about some of the data in there around compensation. It's a good driver of budgets um, and it's a good kind of annual and strategic operating plan data point to pull into some of those budget conversations as well. I'll be sure to link to the Payscale page that has the the download that people can get for this particular report from the show notes on this episode. But right before the break, we were talking about the fact that some of this uncertainty in the economy is causing employees to stick around their jobs longer. And that potentially is giving employers a little bit more control, although it's very nuanced and obviously situation dependent. I'm wondering if that is giving employers more confidence to enforce return to office protocols and rules. We saw Amazon in particular just recently say that employees will soon have to be back in the office at least three days a week. Is that representative of what you're seeing overall, given the balance of power and the shift in that between employers and employees more broadly and the return to the office? Or is that more of an outlier in terms of what Amazon is doing? Yeah, I have seen companies like Amazon asking employees potentially to come back into the office. And this is definitely a broader trend um, that we're starting to see. So I would say most organizations are still want those employees to come into the office at least some of the time. And so as we look at some of the trends in 2023, we're actually seeing about 89% of organizations um, that still have those work environments. And that those work environments could be something like a traditional office environment. It could be a hybrid environment where they're only going in some of the week, or it could be split by job type. So maybe they have some roles that have to be done in office, and then there's a good amount of roles that can work remotely. So that, to me, suggests that physical offices are not going away. I think most organizations, interestingly enough, about 51% of them said that it, they are experiencing resistance from employees about returning to offices. But only about 22% feel like that impact is great enough to reconsider any policy change. So I think at a high level, it is definitely a broader trend that we're seeing. I think specifically in tech, we do see that I think 32% of orgs are in that hybrid space. And then you see a little bit of a split between traditional remote first or kind of split by job type as well. The interesting thing as you look at that data is only about 11% of those work environments are truly remote. And that truly remote is either remote first or kind of in that fully remote. And I think that they're going to have a differentiated hiring advantage. I think that, again, going back to that interesting theme around what employees and candidates want and what employers are providing, it is clear that workers prefer the ability to choose where they work and to have that flexibility. Recently, in the last few months, I will say Payscale announced that we are a remote first organization. And we made that decision to get out of our office environment. We took that money that we had spent on real estate and offices previously, and we reallocated that back to travel so that teams could travel, see each other, get together for what we're calling the moments that matter, and you know get a chance to spend with their teams. And that was a That is a part of our overall philosophy around how we think about not just compensation, but what it means to be an employee at Payscale. And we've heard from candidates anecdotally coming in that that flexibility plays a key role in what they're considering when they look for a new job. It's really interesting because it comes down to priorities. For example, Andy Jassy, the Amazon CEO, made it clear that he and by extension, the company really value that in-person interaction. 
But at the same time, as you're saying, that's a mismatch between what many candidates are looking for. A lot of job candidates out there are looking for these remote first positions, the flexibility to, I don't know, live in the Bahamas and work for a company in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? But, but So this seems like it's a potential strategic opportunity for companies that are still looking at this tight labor market, trying to attract and retain top talent, and who might be able to compromise on that in-person interaction front? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I'll go back to kind of us making that decision to move remote first as an organization. We looked at that from a total employee experience point of view, and we looked at it from that lens and said, what do our employees want? What are we able to provide? We looked at just our percentages of, of pay and compensation and how we pay. We looked at all of those different factors that go into what you would think about in a total compensation package, but are also those kind of non-monetary, what feel like a perk, but is a part of how an employee does their job every day and how they interact with the organization. And for us, strategically, it made sense to say we are going to be flexible because we have been and we haven't seen a lot of appetite to go back into kind of that more traditional office environment. And so I think companies need to really think about and weigh their total package and think about those differentiators. And for us, that was a differentiator. And that flexibility was what we wanted. It's also what our employees wanted. And we were excited about the opportunity to kind of make that shift internally ourselves. Along those lines, one of the things that Payscale's report on compensation best practices for 2023 says is that organizations need to, quote, rebalance on the employee experience. And you're touching on this now. What does that mean specifically? And, and can you provide some additional examples? Yeah, I think so. So I think, you know, if I think about that rebalance of employee experience, this is the theme of our conversation today. Some of it is that push and pull, I think, of what employees and candidates are expecting versus what employers are providing. You know, you look at some of the examples like pay ranges being made public in job postings, inflation, eroding pay increases, pay compression, threatening pay equity. There's all of these different topics that are challenging, I think, employers to think about the practices that they've done in different ways. And it's the challenge from their direct employees or the questions that they're getting from folks within their organization around what does this mean for us? What does this look like for us? And what transparency are you willing to give me as an organization around how we make some of these decisions? And so I think about that rebalance of employee experience. It's everything that we talked about. If we think about, you know, remote work and that flexibility and thinking about who you are and what you offer and what it means to work at the company or organization that you are. But I also think about some of these big trends are challenging employers to have to think differently and to have to answer some of those questions, whether that's in a reactive way or in a mo more proactive way. And that rebalances how they think about just what it means for an employee and their experience at the company. So does that mean perks in the office? Does it mean special accommodations for people at home? Are, are there specific things? And maybe Payscale is doing some of these things yourselves to rebalance that and create new types of benefits for these employees. Are there specific things that you're seeing in the marketplace? Yeah, it, there's definitely a, an increased kind of some interesting data points in there around just benefits and the types of benefits we're seeing. We're seeing, you know, mental health benefits have been a big push. We are seeing some companies rebalance that total compensation package. That means thinking about, you know, what part is base compensation? What part is bonus? What about equity and stock and, you know, all those other pieces? But it's also those perks that you just mentioned. It's, again, what does it mean to 
be an employee at the company. For us internally, you know, I, I mentioned kind of we moved to that remote first environment. We reallocated that money that we were previously spending on real estate into travel. We also started to do a couple different things. We offer unlimited access to WeWork and Regis for all of our companies. And so I'll give you an example. I was in Chicago last week with a team of 12 talking about learning and engagement at the company. I'm in Nashville this week. And so I'm talking to you live from Nashville today because I'm with our marketing team at an offsite while our our product team is at an offsite in DC. And we're rethinking about kind of what that means to provide employees opportunity to travel, thinking about things like swag or what makes those offsites fun events and dinner opportunities and all of those things, but thinking about just the employee experience in a different way. Um, and so for us, that was the unlimited WeWork and Regis. It allows people to just go and get away from their home if and when they want to. It also allows us to do things like this, where we gather small groups, larger teams all together, cross-functional teams to get together for a day, two days, and do some strategic offsites. And then we're already thinking about what are the other things that we could offer in a remote environment? Are there different tools that we should be thinking that employees would want to use while they're working from their homes? We offer um, an annual stipend and reimbursement for things like internet usage and, you know, all, all of those other pieces. And some of that we had started to do anyway, coming out of 2020 and, and kind of the push to work remotely. But we're thinking about rebalancing what we offer to people to make sure that we're, you know, reacting to what they need today, but also that we're thinking about what they, they might need uh, here in the future. So all of these things we're talking about are the ingredients that end up going into compensation packages, which is ultimately what this report boils down to and what Payscale's research points to. So let's talk about that when we come back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop from GeekWire talking this week with Lexi Clark, the Chief People Officer at Payscale, the compensation software and data company. They just came out with their 2023 Compensation Best Practices Report. All right, Lexi, are people making more money or less, <laughs> especially in tech? How is this all shaken out? <laughs> this is a good, it's a good question to start on. So, uh, you know, as we think about just overall increases, I think a couple different trends that I think are interesting. I think overall, we are seeing fewer organizations planning to give base pay increases in 2023. And so what that means is that about 92% of organizations said, yes, I'm going to give base pay increases in 2022. Only 80% are saying that they're going to give them in 2023. And that includes kind of 80% of the tech industry organizations in this report. That leaves about 15% are still unsure. Um, I think that's a reflection of, again, the, the, you know, the white hot, hot labor market starting to cool, the risk of a recession increasing, organizations thinking about perhaps they may have spent too much on pay in 2021 and 2022 to compete for talent. And what does that mean? I think what's interesting as you dig even deeper into that data is that, well, you're seeing that number drop a little bit. And if they're giving increases, we are seeing 56% of organizations say they will still be above 3%. 
which is up from 53% last year. So up a little bit. So we'll see increases over 3%. Of that breakdown, 72% of tech orgs plan to give over 3%. But some employees still may see pay raises lower than they did in 2022. Much fewer organizations in 2023 plan to give raises over 5%. And so it's an interesting, again, as we think about the rebalance, the market, all of those different pieces, we're seeing less organizations say that they're going to give pay increases, but we are still seeing a good chunk of organizations say they are going to give increases over that 3%. And that includes tech companies. Yeah, when I look back on 2022 and some of the changes that were made in compensation packages at Amazon and Microsoft and others, it was kind of like an Oprah moment. You know, you get a raise and you get a raise. And we've gotten back to something closer to reality here, it feels like, although still a large percentage of employers planning to give some form of raise that at least keeps pace with inflation. It's interesting that you say that, I think, internally about what we have seen too and what we have done at pay scale in 2022 versus 23. In 2022, we gave raises between three and 20% in some cases. And that was a reflection of market movement, a reflection of updating our compensation strategies. We had done a tremendous amount of M&A in 2021. And so we brought three companies together and we needed to do some integration. But this year, we're going closer to that business as usual. We've gotten people to where they need to be against the market. We're still using all of our own market data internally at Payscale to determine what the right increases are for folks. But we're taking a step towards refining our compensation strategy and indexing really heavily on education with our employees and with our managers so that they understand why we got to the number that we got in terms of increases, what that might mean for them, and all of those different considerations. And that has been a really big factor for us in the conversation. Interesting. A lot of times pay transparency is in my mind, the line at the bottom of the job post that says the pay range is this, but you're talking about something much further. Is what Payscale's doing representative of the broader market in other ways too? You know, I hope so. We don't have a lot of strong data on exactly the degree of transparency that other organizations are going to. But anecdotally, as I think about what transparency is becoming, it is more than just that job posting and that range being included at the bottom. We are just finishing up and we're just wrapping up all of our employee and manager trainings for all of our compensation process. And we trained them down to the detail of the data cuts that we're using, down to the detail of how we make those compensation decisions. We gave answers and FAQs around inflation and what that means for them if they're in different markets, what it means in the US versus the UK versus Canada. And so our degree of transparency was not just, here's kind of your straight compensation range and here's what it requires. It was down to here's what it means to make a compensation decision. And we want to open up that for discussion and dialogue so that everybody feels equally educated going into those compensation conversations. Yeah. I can only imagine you might have somebody saying, well, here's what chat GPT says I should be making. <laughs> I have an alternative data set for you. We uh, haven't had it happen quite yet. We haven't had it not, yet, quite not yet. Not yet. So you just alluded to this when you talked about geography, but I remember a year, a year and a half ago, maybe when a lot of these remote work situations were becoming somewhat more permanent, there was the whole debate over whether compensation should be based on where the employee was previously or where the company's headquarters are, or based on the cost of living where they might be working. How are you seeing this play out broadly in the market? How are yeah. those choices being made? 
Yeah, just from a straight data percentage, I think we are still seeing a healthy chunk of employers pay everyone according to one location. And that's usually the location where their company's headquarters are. That stays kind of tried and true in the tech industry as well. We're still seeing a little bit of a split between using different pay zones, whether that's using kind of market-based pricing or geo differentials. We're still seeing kind of a mixed strategy. Maybe it depends on occupation or job type or some of those things, but it's still kind of holding tried and true that people are using the pay everyone kind of similar to one location. I think also it's interesting, you know, companies in the tech space are also some of the most likely to provide a stipend to work from home. And so as we think about how, again, kind of that remote work conversation, it's an interesting data point to include too. And so organizations are still, I think, trying to figure it out. I will say we just made different decisions internally at Payscale that follow our decision to move to remote first. And that was, we are, you know, highly distributed across the U.S. And so we internally at Payscale are moving to one range. That means if we have a software engineer in a high cost location and a software engineer, maybe in Alabama, um, that their compensation range is going to be the same. And we're paying attention, obviously, to some of those higher cost markets. But that was a reflection for us of our own kind of remote first strategy. And that's been something that as we think about continuing to be remote first, if we think about where we're going to hire talent, anytime we open a role in the US, we're opening it up to wherever we can find the best talent kind of in those locations. And that's also reflective. I mean, we're distributed, we're in over 45 states at this point. And so we're almost in every state in the US. And, and that analysis made the most sense for us. And it's interesting as you look at, this is not captured in the compensation best practices report, but as we think about the analysis we did to get to that decision internally at Payscale, we started to see high cost and those national ranges actually starting to converge, which you know could be a reflection of that remote world that we have been in over the last few years. Explain what you meant by that last part, where the high cost and then the national ranges converge. What, what do you yeah. mean by that? Yeah. So as we did our own internal analysis at Payscale, what we saw is that you could benchmark and market price a role and you could pull a range for something that might have traditionally been high cost. High cost for us means anything that was in Seattle, Boston, New York City, uh, the state of California. Um, And then you look at a national range, which captures kind of the national as you look across kind of the U.S., and you actually start to see those two ranges come closer and closer together. So we saw some of those high cost ranges start to decrease on average. We saw some of the national ranges start to increase and they started to move closer to one another. And for us, that meant that actually in some roles, it's more favorable for an employee to be in a national based range because their continued wage growth and their earning potential could be higher than it would be uh, if they remained in high cost. So that's a little bit of, of just our internal analysis, again, not captured in that best practices report, but an interesting data point as we thought about what's the right thing for our organization with where we are today. It's so fascinating. You look at the different levers that employers can pull in terms of attracting and retaining talent. And there's some companies that aren't even up at those levers. They're just like, hey, we've got the workforce that we need for now. We're we're okay. We may hire a little bit, but frankly, some of those companies are cutting. And then you've got these different levers like overall compensation and whether it's even across the country and the ability to work remotely. And then there's this other one that I've been thinking a lot about, and that is the mix of compensation between something like equity stock in a public company versus guaranteed base pay. How are you seeing that that other lever, that issue of equity compensation shake out in compensation packages, given 
all of the volatility and the decline that we've been seeing in the stock market. Yeah, I think it's a it's I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of kind of my thoughts on that and I'll give you maybe a, a data point to anchor it to. I think the fact that employers are really still continuing to struggle to attract that top talent, I think has pushed organizations to think about what is that compensation mix in those job offers. I mean, base pay is not the only tool in the toolbox anymore as we think about attracting and retaining talent. And it shouldn't be. Differentiating that employee experience really comes down to the total rewards package. And employees are starting to demand more things than just a really impressive base compensation number. And so it's interesting. I think while some companies may monitor you know, the stock market or the stock price when it comes to preparing job offers, when it comes to benefits, not every organization offers everything, um, which is why I think those benefits actually can be that differentiator to attracting and retaining that talent. And so we're seeing some increases in, in benefits around things like student loan repayments, financial debt services, travel benefits. Um, we think about the evolving trend of the four-day work week. We are seeing you know, companies explore some of those. But from a you know, stock equity standpoint, overall, not just tech-specific, but overall, we saw you know, 18% of organizations offered stock and equity in 2022. That's up slightly to 19% in 2023. Specific to tech, 45% of tech orgs offered stock and equity in 22. And in 23, 40% planned to. So we saw that dip down a little bit Interesting. to the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Interesting, which would kind of follow logically because that equity may not have the same value in the short run for those employees. So that that's really interesting. So big picture, I wanted to ask you just to close out here, Lexi, from two different perspectives. If you were an employer looking at this market and these numbers, and you were trying to set your compensation for 2023, what's the first thing you would look at? Like, what's the data point that you would examine first? I think the data point I would start with is you got to be locked into that market data. You have to know the market data for the roles at which you have at that company, like the back of your hand. Um, and you have to understand the data that you're using. You have to make sure it's explainable. And so that that goes into the second point, which is that pay transparency and communications. Transparency is not just the range at the bottom of a job posting. It is being able to explain and talk to your leaders and your employees about the decisions that you're making around their pay. And so, you know, if I had to think about a place to start, it's know the market data in and out. Um, You want to be able to explain it to your employees, but it's also going to help you understand if I know the market data for the roles that I have at a company, then I can go look at my employees and see how far off am I? How far on am I? Do I feel like I'm in a fair place? And then it bridges into, okay, great. So how do we explain it? And how do we educate people on it? And how do we make sure that we're transparently answering their questions? And then what about from the employee perspective? I'm thinking, for example, of an engineer at Microsoft who might have been able to jump ship to Meta or Google in the past. And those opportunities are still there, but perhaps not as ample as they were in the past and also not as lucrative as they were in the past, if I'm understanding the data correctly. But say you're just sort of, you know, meh about your job at Microsoft. You know, sorry, I don't mean to use them as a, a negative example, but say you're say you're just sort of meh about your job. Like, what do you do? How do you improve your situation given that you don't have those external forcing factors to rely upon anymore? I think the most interesting part of the pay transparency legislation is that there is more data available than ever 
for employees to bring data to a conversation with their employer on how much they think they should make for them to determine as they're looking for a new job, how much they know that they're worth mm-hmm. or their skills are worth. And so, you know, of course, the transparency legislation, again, you, you've got the ranges in job postings. But then you think about, I mean, you know, we offer something on on PayScale's website that allows an employee to plug in everything about their profile and understand what am I worth as I think about the market. And so if I'm an employee and I'm thinking about, you know, man, I'm thinking about I might want to move to another role or another company. And what would that look like? The most important thing, first and foremost, is understand and use that data to understand what you're worth and think about making sure that you understand what you think is fair. And then think about all those other pieces. How important is that flexibility to you and the ability to, you know, maybe work remotely or be in a hybrid environment or kind of whatever works best. But I think it's it's starting in anchoring yourself in the data of compensation and really making sure that you've got a really good handle on feeling like you know exactly what you would expect from a new company. But then it's also thinking about all of those other different perks and pieces that are popping up that are differentiators at other organizations that, you know, can be monetary, but also sometimes can be non-monetary and you can't necessarily always put a price on that. That's great. I'm sitting here thinking about the pay scale best practices report, the compensation best practices report. And I'm wondering if employees might look at that and read it almost as if they were able to review the other team's secret playbook in some ways. <laughs> I think I think they should. I I will tell you, I have reviewed the comp best practices report twice um, and the first time with a glass of wine. And I feel like I've got a handle. I've got a handle on what's going on in the market um, and how we're, how we're thinking about 2023. So I would encourage everybody um, to read it. It helps. It helps also understand, you know, what what they should be asking companies for, and maybe their current employer too. Well, Lexi Clark, Chief People Officer at Payscale, thank you so much. This has been great and really helpful in understanding what's going on out there. Thanks so much for having me, Todd. Thanks for listening to the GeekWire podcast. Kurt Milton produces and edits our show. Daniel L.K. Caldwell composed and performed our theme music. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.